everything's off limits. Go for it. Sure, oh, yeah, yeah. Can it, you swear? You can. Can we swear? Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay, that's <laughs> yo. You read my mind. Thank you. Thanks for asking that. I always ask that question. <laughs> you can definitely swear. Okay. Good. Yeah, that's fine. It's part of my DNA. <laughs> Good to know. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I am joined by two incredible guests. We're all meeting here for the first time today, which is very exciting. So first, a singer, songwriter, musician, and multidisciplinary artist. Their new soul hip-hop and R&B album, Something Comfortable, and their voice will give you goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps. Their album is a devotional endeavor inspired by their battle with multiple sclerosis, and their album serves as a score to Afro Science, an immersive performance and workshop series fusing live music, visual art, digital media, and storytelling to encourage a dialogue and action around identity, public health, and expression. A true Vancouver talent, they evoke vulnerability just the way I like it. They are Tanya Aganaba. Tanya, how are you? Yo, what's up, Mo? Thank you for having me. That was <laughs> Thanks for being here. Glowing introduction. I feel very shy. I am so stoked to have you here. And shout out to Melanie Green, who's been on my case to get you on the show. That's so- my bad baby right there. <laughs> I love you, Mel. Well, thank you for being here. And of course, I have to introduce my second guest. She is a writer and creative entrepreneur who is one half of the sustainable home and apparel brand. Anara. She is also the co-founder of Jugany Style, a South Asian arts and culture magazine. And if you're wondering, a Jugany literally means a female firefly and represents a woman who travels from place to place and makes funny and insightful observations. She is also the producer of the Nameless Collective podcast. She is a former board member of the BC Arts Council and the City of Vancouver Multiculturalism Advisory Committee and a former senior program advisor in the Community Support, Multiculturalism, and Anti-Racism Initiative Program of the Department of Canadian Heritage, which we will get into. She is Manjoth Baines. Manjoth, how are you? I'm good. That's a long list of things that I've done. <laughs> yeah, try saying years. it. <laughs> Especially that last one. The I title know. is very long. It is super long and, and funny. Uh, we actually, when I worked there, we would call it CS Mari. CS Mari. Yeah, because that's like the acronym. Okay. Yeah. yeah, if I said that, no one would know what I was no, talking no, about. I, <laughs> no, no. Well, it's great to see you. I feel like there's a lot of electricity in the room. I'm digging it. We've got a lot to talk about. But Manjoth, I want to start with you. Okay. You were a federal employee for Canadian Heritage, and you worked for their anti-racism program. Right. And in September, you were featured in an article in the Huffington Post, and you were quoted as an individual citizen, not as someone at Canadian Heritage, about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's blackface incidents. And the story comes out, you flag the story to your manager, and then the manager and apparently some other supervisors told you that you were not allowed to speak about race or racism or even arts and culture. 
and that you were definitely were not allowed to criticize the prime minister. And then they said that you had to like redo some sort of ethics training and complete loyalty training, whatever right. that is. Yeah. But then they insisted that you would have to give up Jugany style and the Nameless Collective podcast, which they already knew you were producing and they were originally okay with it. That's correct. I cleared a conflict of interest process when I started there. So they're very aware of um, the work I did outside of the government in mm-hmm. writing and producing. So it sounds like they gave you an ultimatum and you basically decided to quit. Is this the story? Is that, am I missing anything here? Um, you know, you've encapsulated it. I think, um, you know, to get further into the details, when I told my manager about the original story in the Huffington Post, where I talked about Justin Trudeau doing blackface, I was reprimanded by senior management in a meeting where I was told that I couldn't be trusted. Um, and that <sighs> Really? I, yeah. Like, <clears throat> repeatedly, I couldn't be trusted. And I'd have to uh, rebuild trust. I would have to do loyalty training, values and ethics training. And that was the first time they said I had to choose between what they said was being an activist and working with in the federal government. Hmm. Um, and so, and that I couldn't do the podcast anymore, which I produce. Like, I'm not a host talking about mm-hmm. things like we're doing here. I was mm. producing it. Um, and then a, a week later, we had a follow up meeting. And that's where I asked again, like, do I have to choose between this podcast and writing and Jigney style and working here? Because I was a part time employee. I'd only been there for five months. Yeah. Um, and then my manager reiterated and said yes. And so at this hmm. point, we were actually planning on putting out an episode about racism in the Canadian election because mm-hmm. it was such a big issue. Yeah. Um, and I talked to our team and we decided we wouldn't put out the episode because of what had happened to me at work. Mm-hmm. But then I was sitting in that meeting and I was like, so you cleared me of conflict of interest, but now you see me as a problem because I spoke up about racism. <laughs> and, you, you know, and I work in an anti-racism program. Yeah, and I was is... like, sorry. I was like, <laughs> why am I giving this up? Like, why am I canceling this episode for this job and like at this meeting this was when they actually gave me the ultimatum and when I was set told you cannot talk about race and racism um, because people will perceive you as not being neutral and you'll be seen as being biased because you work in an anti-racism program which I have still yet to found a single person in the world who even understands what that means yeah how that makes me biased that doesn't make any sense at all no it doesn't and it's so Upside down and backwards, like the way you described it at the start about them saying that you have to rebuild trust with them, mm-hmm. it almost sounds like they think you're the one that did blackface. You oh, know what I mean? yeah. You would think with what, you know, the fact that I had to uh, choose between working there. Basically, I was I was given an ultimatum and I had to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do blackface. I wasn't racist. Mm-hmm. But I actually paid such a huge price for it. And that continues to really just like it baffles my mind. But it's also like, of course, of yeah. course, I paid the price for something that I didn't mm-hmm. even do. Right. At the end of the day, like I did not put on blackface ever. The prime minister did and other people have. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like this this ongoing cycle where um, certain people are given free passes, yes. like white people in positions of power. And then people of color and black and indigenous folks actually have to pay the price. And we're seen as like deviant, um, an issue, a problem, which is what I think that the senior management at Canadian Heritage thought about me as a problem. And they wanted to get rid of me. Right. And I want to reiterate what you said, because I'm sure there might be some listeners who are going, oh, my God, what skewering comment did she make about Justin Trudeau? (laughs) I I have the quote here. 
And I have the quote here, but it's so tame. It is. All you said was, quote, it didn't connect with who I thought Trudeau is. For anyone to even do that, whether it's 2001, 1990, or right now, that doesn't make any sense to me, unquote. So non-controversial. <laughs> and actually, Trudeau was sort of saying the same thing about himself in he his was. own reflection. Right? He was. Like, yeah. He admitted that what he did was racist. And I, um, you know, when I when that article came out, I was actually like, oh, I, I felt a little like, oh, my comments are so tame. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, whenever I look back, I'm like, that's why I eventually lost my job, because I said that about the prime minister. Yeah. Where I basically didn't say anything. Like, I wasn't critiquing policy. I didn't critique the gov- the department I was in, mm-hmm. the government. You know, any of the stuff that if you read the, the document of, like, loyalty, it's available on the Treasury Board website if you're really interested in finding out what the loyalty training is. Like, I didn't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. What I did was agree with the Prime Minister and share that I was upset about something. Yeah. And that's it. So tell me how you really feel, both of you. <laughs> When you saw a black face, you see that it's multiple times, and even he can't tell you how many times he did it. What was the reaction, Tanya? I, when I first, when I saw saw the first picture, I laughed hysterically because (laughs) I was like, are you this, are you this stupid? (laughs) Are you this dumb? And then there was an incredible sinking feeling Mm -hmm. that happened inside me because that's not a new pick. It's been around. People had seen it before. It was just suppressed. Nobody had access to it until it was... Or people didn't think it was a big deal. Yeah. 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 Then I was sickened. And then when the second pick came out, I was like, get a new job. (laughs) Get a new... Do a different job. Yeah. Because you're not supposed to be doing this one i just don't think that any i mean i don't trust anybody that vies for absolute power ever because i think that's sick and twisted but um for the leader of our country Mm -hmm. at any point in time to engage in that kind of behavior i think is absolutely whack and disgusting and uh, i can't believe that you lost your job and had to do loyalty that that training that you described how come he didn't have to do that? Did he That's have a to good do point. that? Oh, he, I don't because think he. Because I feel like he's not loyal. I feel like he's not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. People that engage in racist behavior don't deserve your trust. You know what's you know <laughs> what's interesting. Such a great point. <laughs> you you said when you saw the second pick, you were like, "This guy has got to go." That was instinctively my reaction as well. Mm-hmm. Because my whole thing is so throughout this whole election cycle, every day someone's gonna come out with a new blackface photo like this is this is terrible i've sort of softened my position a little bit on that i I don't know if he's necessarily a hateful man he was certainly a very privileged Mm -hmm. person and had huge blinders on big time the fact that he was a teacher when when he did one of these incidents (laughs) was particularly concerning though Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because you know i had Tamara Taggart on here, who ran with Trudeau, and a lot of liberal candidates were afforded reflection on the campaign trail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people came out and they expressed their disappointment. And I mean, most of them were like, oh, we, we forgive him. But they were allowed to seemingly express themselves. So there's almost this irony that they were able to do that, but Menjoth and your 
work as a federal government employee, even though you weren't doing that reflection as a federal government employee, you were suddenly not allowed to reflect on this very interesting moment in the election campaign and in Canadian history. I think it's two things. So, like, it was really interesting to me when I saw all the pictures that were coming out because I was just like, it was such a weird feeling because for two days I felt this very dark sinking feeling Mm -hmm. because I was working within the department and some of the clients that I worked with were part of the black youth stream, so specifically Mm -hmm. funding for black youth projects. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just felt like, I never talked to any of these um, organizations during that week or something, but I felt like, how am I going to outreach to these organizations yeah. <laughs> when the prime minister is doing blackface yeah. and, and one of the key target like um, they have like different areas that you target per year and so one of them was like um, you know black youth and then like indigenous women and children like there's these focus areas very specific and I'm like how do I how am I going to do this? Like, it was a real issue for me internally, but like on a staff level, we had no conversation about blackface. Like mm-hmm. you would you would assume that it never happened. It was never discussed in our program by anyone at all. Um, and so it was just like, I, I think maybe it's an issue about p- being in public service where they just, it's such a, like this institutionalized, it's like a colonial structure and it's got all these systems and institutions where you don't speak up mm-hmm. and you just go with the flow mm-hmm. and that's what my experience was there. And it it's really bizarre. And then on the separate side, when I think about all the MPs and ministers who are coming out and like forgiving the prime minister and stuff, even at that time, I was like, who gives a shit? Like, what? Yeah. I don't give a shit what you're saying. Yeah. Like, shut up. Like, I don't care. Sue Dollywall's coming out saying, I forgive the prime like, minister. It's like, no, like, one, no one asked you. Exactly. <laughs> no, or like when Christia Freeland is like, oh my God, I'm like, fuck, you're a blonde woman. Like, shut <laughs> up. Like, I don't care what you have to say. And even like recently, like in Black History Month, there's been mm. like a lot of news coverage. And Hetty Fry was, did an interview on CBC with um, MP Matthew Green. Mm-hmm. And even and blackface was brought up again. And she was like, oh, he doesn't, the prime minister doesn't have a racist bone in his body. He's so good. And, you know, like the two Sikh men who were standing next to him in the pictures, they didn't think it was an issue. They didn't think it's racist. So it's not yeah. an issue. And I'm like, just because two dudes sitting next to next to model minorities, kids in a, a <sighs> white private school, like because they're like, oh, we don't. First of all, probably don't even know what blackface is, but we're mm-hmm. like, you exactly. know, it doesn't matter what Trudeau did. Like, and so, and Hetty Fry, as an MP, woman of color, is saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Free pass for you, Trudeau. Free Such pass a for you. Exactly right. Such like, a letdown. I was yeah. like. Um, uh, she's like a separate topic. Just, no, but that, let's not go there. Yes. <laughs> but that was one of my issues with a lot of the media coverage. I think mm-hmm. there was some good media coverage around this issue. But why were they trotting out all these South Asians yeah. who most of them would have no experience or knowledge about blackface? Absolutely. I mean, and Joe, anti-racism work is your work. You were doing that as a job. I'd want to hear from you. You are writing about culture and writing about race. You're podcasting, producing a podcast. You might be one of the South Asians that I want to hear from. But the idea of like, this guy's South Asian, let's ask him what he thinks. Like my uncle literally was like, he's like, I don't get it. I, like what's, he painted his face. I don't understand right. what's a big deal. And I explained it to him and he goes, oh, okay. But most South Asians would have no familiarity about why this is an issue. Tanya, did you feel like there was a disconnect when all these people were reflecting on television? Yes. Big time. I, anyone who is not a black 
person Mm -hmm. or who doesn't walk through this world racialized, I, like you, have no interest in hearing their like their apology apology for him or cosign of his weird (laughs) ass behavior. Like that's you have no idea. There are tons of black people that I met during that time that didn't think it was a big deal, Hmm. which was super sketchy and scary to me. I thought, I mean, I'm me, so I think everything's a big deal. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I feel like there is a real people were really hesitant to call it what it was Mm -hmm. because Nobody wants to rock the boat. Yeah. Nobody wants to rock the boat and get uncomfortable and like just splay it all out, yeah. which is unfortunate. And people who didn't think it was a big deal, did they not think it was a big deal because it was Trudeau or because just the actual act of blackface was not a big deal? Like, I feel like if this was hypothetically, if this was Donald Trump in the US, the US media would go insane oh, yeah. with it. I feel like it was because it was Trudeau. If it was any other person, mm-hmm. any other, not not that Trudeau's, well, he's not normal, but like a normal person did blackface, they would be, it would be, they would be fully canceled in life. Right. Yeah. Oh, I don't know why he is different. Is it, is it because we have a, we have a tough time understanding that you can be unwittingly racist. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it doesn't mean that you're some hateful guy who's mm-hmm. out to go beat up minorities. You could be doing things or thinking in a way which is racist without even knowing it yourself. I mean, that's the whole thing with systemic racism and, and white privilege mm-hmm. and white supremacy when we talk about those things. And a lot of white people don't want to talk about those things because it makes them feel really uncomfortable. Um, but the reality is, is that those are the actual issues. And Mm -hmm. so when I worked for the government, for example, they had created this whole anti-racism strategy. And that was to like, you know, fight and like dismantle systemic racism within Mm -hmm. the government and society. And those are like, you can't actually do that unless you dismantle the entire government structure, right? Because it's a (laughs) colonial structure. But But they put out these policies. But then like, do they really want to get rid of systemic racism or can you do that? Like you can't if you're not going to talk about white privilege and white supremacy. And even when Justin Trudeau did his second press conference, I think in Winnipeg after the blackface incidents where he talked, he was a little more apologetic Mm -hmm. and he was like talking about, you know, I have a lot of privilege. He didn't say white privilege. He just Mm -hmm. said privilege. That means a lot of other things. That's like financial Mm -hmm. uh, class, like all sorts of stuff, right? It's not white privilege. And like people do not want to say those words like white privilege. It makes people really uncomfortable. So you think that was deliberate that he didn't say white privilege? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think he, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what was going through the minds Tanya's of his people. Tanya's looking at me like right? I'm crazy. Sorry, I had to take a moment to like. I was like, did he do that on purpose? Yeah, I think for a hundred percent, you have a choice. Yeah, and also it's one extra word. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's a, a very well, important and I, word. And I, I bring that up because that I thought that speech was quite well written. I thought clearly whoever wrote it was hitting all the things that need to be said, but I, you're mm-hmm. right, I didn't notice that. And if I, I take your word for it, that's an interesting exclusion from that apology. That's what stood out for me when I when I saw both apolog- apologies, the one on the airplane that was really bad. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing for me is like, that feels like the real Trudeau to me. Like, 100%. Who hadn't, um, been a- who wasn't able to like have his speechwriters and everything like prepare him and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the one that he did after was like, okay, that felt a lot more heartfelt. But mm. um, yeah, definitely those... 
Yeah, the whole thing is just like so crazy. Like, and when we talk about this discomfort around talking about racism, you, Tanya, you said that you had some friends that who were black mm. didn't didn't see it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't think that, or maybe they just didn't want to express it, or they didn't want to get into it. But I find even as immigrants or mm-hmm. descendants of immigrants, you know, we benefit from Canada's colonial past and history. And yeah, absolutely. And it's uncomfortable because we don't want to disregard the hard work or the struggles or the achievements of our parents or our grandparents. But I think we also, as immigrants, as people of color, do have to recognize truth in whatever privileges we may enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I see your story and I actually think it reflects on how discussions around race are uncomfortable for everyone. Right. But then looking deeper into your story, it's made even worse when some, someone of color comes out, gives an opinion, no matter how tame it may be, <laughs> and suddenly they're <laughs> reprimanded for it. You know, that makes things even worse. So instead of being honest and say, okay, this is all going to be uncomfortable. Right. Let's just get, let's, let's do this. I mean, we can't, we cannot be surprised if we look around at what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to get real just yet. No, and not I don't... just yet. There are so many n- normal people who are who are hearing that call and who are rising up and and really getting to the point of okay, this is untenable. You have to hear us now. Yeah. And I, it's such a, it's a really complicated time and I feel sorry for, I feel sorry for white people. I really do because this must suck real bad, but like get on board, get <laughs> on board. I totally get what you're saying. Like it's, it's like, it's such a strange period. Cause like I, when I came up with my story, I had so many people, whether they tweeted me or emailed or called or texted mm-hmm. and they had like stories that were really similar to mine and also mm-hmm. a lot worse. Yeah. And like, and that was really hard for me to like read and process. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I know this situation. It was so hard for me and it sucked. And it was so bad. But then I was like, Oh my God, the system is never going to change. It can't be broken. It's just like, it, it was really, it was hard for me to process all of that. And then on the other side, like, as I, I think about what I did, like, yeah, I want people to speak up more. I want mm-hmm. them to mm-hmm. fight, but I lost my job. And so like the repercussions, like what actually happens when you speak up is mm-hmm. like, it's certainly been hard on me. And like, I can't have that expectation for everyone. But on the other side, like, like, well, then what do we do? Like, it feels yeah. like it does feel like there's definitely a lot happening in Canada right mm-hmm. now. And it feels like there's a moment where we could all, you know, kind of come together and rise. But I think another issue, you know, when you're talking about immigrants and descendants of immigrants is this whole thing around model minorities. Oh, yeah. Um, and I and I, I've seen that a lot around me, you know, like people saying, like, why did you even speak up? Like, you need to keep your job. Mm-hmm. Or, like, in other contexts, like, oh, you've experienced racism. That person said that thing to you. Like, who cares? Just That happens all the time. Just let it fly. It's like, <laughs> like literally family members saying that. So, yeah. like, we should just accept shit all the time. Yeah. Like, why are you speaking up? Like, stop saying the term white privilege. That sounds racist. Like, oh, I have heard that from too? so many. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, so, like around friends, like from so many people. And I mean, a lot of people in my circle in my circle are like um, second generation, mm-hmm. um, you know, parents from like different parts of Asia and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like that thing about like white, white privilege, even saying the word white is racist. And oh, I'm yeah. like, I don't want to keep having these conversations. 
Like, yeah. I, like I'm at kind of at a, a boiling point now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm just like not going to engage with those family members and friends or what, but I'm like, I'm just so sick of it now. That's where I'm at. I'm just like, yeah. hey, I'm not, I'm fully down to have conversations with people mm-hmm. for sure. But if our views are diametrically opposed right now where I'm at, I can't. I just can't. I need to be surrounded by people that are like on the same page. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I feel the same way. And like being from, my family is from Nigeria and Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, beautiful, great people. Mm -hmm. Very disappointed in everything that I do. That's. The, I mean, I chose to be a musician. I come from a family of doctors, lawyers, engineers, petroleum engineers. I come from Nigeria. Sure. Like that's what they're mm. all about. So for me to be like, hey, human rights. Yeah. Hey, how about no more pipelines? You know. Yeah. There's a huge disconnect. It's really. It's a challenge, especially growing up here. I totally agree. <laughs> like the the conversation on the pipeline. Like I'm not gonna have that with. Oh, a don't lot even. Of, probably with. The, most of my friends most and people, family. Yeah, I, I just have a dough and you know some of them might be on the same page as me but even and this is the thing with like around the blackface incident like I was like I am not talking to people about this because mm-hmm. I don't want to hear their opinions because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even know what blackface is no. and they had lots of opinions about it which is why I think like when the media went to talk to South Asians and most people didn't know what blackface was and they're like oh it's fine you're just in a costume no big deal Yeah, that's why their response was that instead of like you know, taking a beat, getting educated on it. Um, and we talked about actually, we'd actually ended up doing an episode on race in the election. And beneath one of our hosts, he talked to his dad and his dad was like, what's the big deal about blackface? And mm. then Benit spent five minutes, gave the history of blackface. And then his dad was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the thing is, it takes a little bit of education because mm. um, a lot of immigrants, like, where are you going to learn the history of blackface unless, you know, you're really seeking it out or like mm-hmm. you fall a- I don't know, like a certain type of research or you follow a certain type of pop culture. And like, certainly my parents aren't going to be following those, you know, unless unless it came up on the Cosby show in the 90s, which was like their <laughs> introduction didn't. to black culture, right? Neil Cosby wasn't doing that kind of stuff. Right? So then they're not going to know about it. He was doing a lot of other things. A lot of other things. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, Tanya, I want to push back on, on, on a concept you had there yeah. about not engaging with people that were, that are diametrically opposed. Yeah. I think what I would want in an ideal world in terms of the culture and the the commentators that we have. Mm. I don't necessarily care if people are diametrically opposed, but I would like people to come into conversations with good faith. That's what's up. With open ears, Mm -hmm. open hearts. We can be on totally separate pages, but if I'm able to tell you my story Mm -hmm. and you're able to tell me your story, my mind may not change right away, but if I can walk away from that going, I have a little more empathy for that person because their lived experience is much different than mine. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why maybe they hold that view that I'm just not there yet. That I think can work, but we, on the left and the right, if if we want to look at the political spectrum, we do have this thing about shaming each other and there's Mm -hmm. purity tests on the left. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that honest conversation can, can be very difficult and you put yourself at risk, even within your own social circles. Right. And I think that's what happens with a lot of even in in South Asian communities is that if you bring up race in some way, then people say you're using it as an excuse. And this is a great country. Absolutely. This this being a great country can be absolutely true. You can hold that uh, as truth as well. But 
you get the, almost that guilt. <laughs> For sure. Like, you we know? need to be grateful that we're here. And so mm-hmm. we need to work our hardest and keep our heads down and not speak up about anything. Like, also, the biggest thing that drives me crazy, and I think during this during the election time, it was like, well, you know, we're critiquing Trudeau. And then people say, like, from my own community, like, well, do you want the conservatives to win? Because they're racist. Because <laughs> he's better. And I'm like, so it's my fault if Trudeau doesn't win? Yeah. Do a better fucking job. Like, don't yeah. blame me. And I hear that a lot. I heard that the last election, like, we shouldn't critique the liberals because Harper will win mm-hmm. and he's worse. And it's like, why is that now suddenly my responsibility as a brown woman? <laughs> Who has no power? And it's always scenario. your responsibility, though. Don't you know this by now? Yeah. <laughs> you got to do all the work. Exactly. Fuck. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you imagine if Trudeau had lost, whether it was a conservative minority or conservative majority government, do you think there would have been spin in the media that, oh, minorities didn't show up for him, or the blackface incident really took the wind out of his sails? I think they would have ridden that. For sure, if he didn't win. Yeah. I, oh, man. I can't believe he won, personally. Really? <laughs> I mean, I knew it was going to happen deep down, heart of hearts, but I hoped it wouldn't. Yeah. I hoped it wouldn't. That blackface, it really, I don't know. Everybody's over it, but I'm still I'm still mad. I think it's weird. Well, I don't know. It, is, it is weird. Yeah. Like, why was he doing blackface? So it doesn't, often. Make, I it doesn't make any sense. That's a lot about him. In any decade, for a person with that much education, for his fa- for a person who was whose father was the leader of this nation, I can't understand. On in all those years of living amongst people from around the world, mm-hmm. that no one one time was like, "Hey, man, blackface, you shouldn't do it." Yeah. <laughs> That's bug wild to me. I just, I think yeah. that's, I think it's nuts. To touch on something that you're, you're both talking about, whether it's how wild it is and, and maybe how people don't understand it. When you spoke about this with your friends or colleagues or whoever else, did you ever get that pushback of people saying, oh, you're, you're being too sensitive or, Absolutely. or you, you're taking this way too personally and maybe because you are a person of color, you're looking at it this way. He's still a good guy. We don't want the conservatives to win. Absolutely. You're, just be careful. Yeah. You're race baiting. Like, I heard a lot of that in just trying to open up a dialogue, like not trying to fight with anyone, but just, you know, talking about why this is happening. Did you experience the same thing? A hundred percent. People, okay. Angry black lady is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Anytime I bring up anything about anything that has to do with race, it, people are like, hey, you know, like, oh. immediately I'm the angry black person. It's not that. Right. It's just, uh, I don't know. How did you, did people, how did people respond to you? It was so, I mean, at that, um, and how is it not personal for you, mm. especially like, you being I was, affected I was by that like, joke? And, and Tanya, yeah. you as well. Like, how is it not personal? I mean, right? it is personal. It's absolutely personal. And like, I don't know. I remember when the blackface incident came out, like one person was like, this is a person of color um, who's an immigrant um, to our country and has faced, you know, been marginalized, was like, mm-hmm. well, I love Trudeau. Maybe, I think like he just probably want to experience what it's like. No, no, <laughs> no, Right? And I was like, no. no. And then I'm like, but see, these are the kind of conversations where I'm like, I don't want to partake in this. I want to just right? step back and be like, see ya. Like, I don't, I have to interact with you, but I also like just don't want to. Yeah. Um, it really felt like a, people were really willing to go to bat for him because he is the lesser lesser of a bunch of evils. Hmm. But absolutely, that's that it. says so much about where we're at 
That's like a if, great, great way to put it. Like, um, and that's the thing. Like it was so weird. When, also, when my story came out, because on one side I had some conservatives um, like sharing it, and like mm. Ezra Levant retweeted my article. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, there's nah, no dude. way you read it, man. You did not read what I wrote. Keep walking, bro. Because I think for them it was like, oh, we can like take a jab at like the feminist oh, diversity yeah. prime minister, yeah. and it was like that was really bizarre. And then on the other hand, I had a lot of people who were liberals critiquing me and saying like, you should never have spoke up and critiqued the prime minister he's mm-hmm. like your boss you know you're wrong you need to be neutral that was like a really big argument so let's let's get into this putting your story into the greater context manjoth what does it say about the federal government's anti-racism initiatives in this country when something like this can't even be discussed seemingly appropriately um, and everyone's politicizing it and using yeah. it for their own gain. So what does it say about anti-racism initiatives? Is it all kabuki theater? Is this all for show? <laughs> I think, um, so like I've worked with some people who are really dedicated to working on the anti-racism projects in the community, like my, some of my coworkers. But I think at large, when I look at the strategies and programs and my own personal experience, I think that it's branding. It's mm-hmm. um, It was a way when the liberals first came into power by saying like diversity is our strength. That was a way to differentiate themselves from the conservatives mm-hmm. and Harper when he was going to have like her, his barbaric practices line. Right. Yeah. You know, and he was like, again, you know, being violent towards, uh, not violent. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say violent That's against violent. women in hijab and, and, and that kind of thing. So he was, the liberals were the opposite. They were like the people who care about multiculturalism it's important but if you actually look into the policies like how well are these projects funded like how much Mm. is the anti-racism initiative funded if it's so important to decolonize um this the government systems and to like we need to fight against hate you know people always always like we got to stand up against hate like okay i stood up now what (laughs) like like, stop saying that politicians it's really irritating it doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. I, i don't think there's there's not enough. Um, there's not enough meat behind it. They're words to me, mm-hmm. and I think if you, you know, if you go and look at the policies themselves, you'll see that. You'll see if you go and look at how much these programs are funded over other ones, mm-hmm. you'll see it there as well. Um, and, I, and upon leaving, like I really, really think it's a branding strategy. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't actually think that it's an important piece for a lot of people. Most of the people in governments, in the department that I saw, they're white. The people who are in senior leadership in Ottawa, people working on the policies. People around. working on multiculturalism and anti-racism initiatives are mostly white. As, are you surprised well, by that? I would say people. I mean, I'm just reiterating. I would say the people <laughs> making the policies, like at the federal level, on the yeah. on the ground, on the, the at our at our level, like there were. I would say most of the people of color were in this group in Vancouver, at least. Right. Mm. That's another thing. Mm. You know, there's a lot of other departments or programs in the Department of Canadian Heritage, um, like museums and arts and mm-hmm. funding music and all that stuff. And it's a really white department from what I could see. <laughs> but like the little multiculturalism and anti-racism group, well, that's pretty diverse because okay. you need to hire people of color sure. to administer those programs, right? To make it legitimate, yeah. to legitimize it and make it seem valid. But So you're speaking into that cynicism that, that I'm having where oh, absolutely. it sounds like a branding strategy. It's performative. I think, it, I mean, I, and I felt that when I was there as an employee, but, you know, I got that job in May last year because I needed a job mm. and it was worked for my schedule like it, it, it was kind of like perfect for me to work there and part-time and still be able to do my work outside the government but 
it wasn't that I wasn't always easy with what was happening there. Mm. When you're working within a government, what I what I learned there very quickly is it's a bureaucracy and mm-hmm. you just accept it and you try to do your best. Yeah. And that's it. But you say silence. So when I'm on a phone call and a certain senior leader is like um, talking about the anti-racism program and is like, you know, how do we even measure anti-racism and fighting systemic racism. I don't know. You know, we're funding these programs. And then he's like... So they don't even have objectives or um, targets? Not it, that I'm aware of. Of okay. course, I was like the bottom... I was at sure. the bottom of the yeah. thing. But, you know, at another call, there was a senior leader from Ottawa who was like, social justice, like what's... Uh, what, what is like, social justice, that's like keeping people of color out of jails. Oh! Right. That was basically, I'm paraphrasing, but I got off the call. Okay, you have to expand on that reaction, Tanya. What the hell? <laughs> well, that's not what social justice means, guys. Like, Yeah, that's a, not the correct definition. My heart is racing. That's such a weird thing to say. It is. And so that's yeah. the kind of stuff, like, on a day-to-day basis, you're in these calls, but then on the ground, like, my coworkers were so dedicated to the issues. And so yeah. it's like, you're working within the system to just do your best job and support programs in the community despite what happens at the upper levels. And yeah, that's, and where that's, all the directives are coming from. Yeah, those are the people in power, those people with power, the people in headquarters in Ottawa. Yeah, but they're setting the objectives and yeah. the funding and, as, yeah. As far as my experience has been, everything comes from out there. They're the ones leading everything. Yeah. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I... I'm struggling to understand how anybody thinks that any kind of anti-racism work is going to work if white people are in charge of it. Thank you. That's <laughs> yeah. That's in, that's doesn't make any sense. Also, I applied for the anti-race one of the anti-racism action plan program. I can't remember what it's called. ARAP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and as I was applying for this grant, I was really understanding that. Okay, first of all. Um, I smile. Sorry, I shouldn't smile because I worked in that me. program. I'm going to look away. First <laughs> Tell of all, my question, I had a bunch of questions. One, what are your, how do you measure? Because mm-hmm. and I, I tell you how, how, they, how they measure. They don't. They put all of the onus on community groups that are trying to do good work to prove that they are making a dent in anti-racism work. That's not fair. Also, all of the people who are trying to access that money have to go through white organizations to access it. I'm like on the fence because I want to. S- no, it's not. I don't. They don't all have to. No, but I, if you I, look, I, yeah. if you look around at the kind of organizations that have the capacity to or to be able to like distribute this grant money and to work with people, like most of the time, it's and I. Most of the time, it's white organizations that are applying for anti-racism funding. Right. Someone's going to be listening to this yeah. and is going to ask, what is a white organization? Can we? What's a white organization? Yeah. I don't know. An organization that's led by mostly white people that decides that they want to have an anti-racism angle to their work. Right. And, so and back to the branding. Yeah. Everybody is doing, <laughs> yo, everybody is doing this for branding except people of color. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're right. Um you're I shouldn't right. be so general. Not everybody yeah. is. There are great allies in this world that are doing the good work. But yeah. I encourage everybody to just, if it's coming from the government, take it with a grain of salt and try and find a black organization or indigenous-led organization to work with because those funds should be going to those people. I absolutely agree. And I think like one of the intricacies with, like, I think, like in how... The funding is given out is like so you want to fight racism if that's your main objective but 
you kind of like it's basically like here's the money it's distributed and now it's like all these basically nonprofits it's their yeah. job to do it and mm-hmm. then the government can be like oh look look what we we're doing mm. <sighs> with no they don't help in any way they just take your grant application yeah that's going to work give you the funds and then you report back on it nobody comes to check on you nobody comes to make sure that you, hmm. i think it's uh, a i mean weird i will system. i will say just in my personal experience during mm. my very short period of time working with the government mm. it also depends on the program there are some where there is follow like like the organizations i was working with yeah. i was in constant dialogue and so are some of my co- co- some of my colleagues like that's what i was doing but I, again i was there for 5 months yeah so um, yeah yeah I mean, this this is going to make people more cynical because anytime someone comes out with nice platitudes or <laughs> talk about allyship, you're, you're going to see them cynically, right? If if this is what you're seeing constantly, I think you need to be a little critical of it. Like, I think there are people who mm. are genuine genuine allies who are doing a lot of work to learn and unlearn, mm-hmm. and like, and I appreciate that work, but I think like there's. You just got to be a little more critical. I mean, I am going to be a lot more cynical of politicians doing that mm-hmm. because yeah. their action, if their actions don't really follow up with their with what they're saying in a really meaningful way, not like a, here's two million dollars for you, yeah. you know, out of our budget. Like, uh, you know, I'm, that's just an example. But um, yeah, there needs to be more more to it. And like, um, like I was on Twitter today, and Justin Trudeau was in, um, I think it was Dakar. Um, and he's posing at the door of no return, which was like the last point um, that uh, before a lot of Africans were sold into the slave trade. And mm-hmm. he po- had a posed Why? picture there, right? Yeah. And so that came out today. And I was thinking, like, does he remember his Black History Month? That's so that's what everyone's <laughs> saying. Like, that's what people are saying. Like, did he forget everything he learned um, through blackface? But I'm also like the Canadian media has a part to play in this because mm-hmm. these, you know, this primarily white Canadian media that then goes with the prime minister when he travels, they're yeah. posting the picture and saying, oh, wow, he's so great. Like he's taking a picture um, at so meaningful in this doorway, you know, and it's like, no, it's not meaningful. <laughs> it's totally it's weird. <laughs> it is weird. And, yeah. and so, you know, why is it weird? Why do you find weird. it weird? I find it weird because um, we all have an, we all have a choice point, right? Mm-hmm. So he was standing in front of that door of no return and was like, mm, I can respect human life and the history of black people and appreciate the fact that I'm here for a moment and look at this incredible monument, take a picture for myself mm-hmm. and walk away, or I can turn this into a thing for me. Yeah, yeah I can and light up Instagram. Y- yeah, yep. like, if that is your gut instinct all the time to turn a thing into a moment, I don't trust you. <laughs> Sorry, Justin. Well, it goes back into the branding strategy. Totally. Now, I will tell you this story. It was not a past guest on this show that said this, but there was a politician at an event that I met who, uh, you know, my family, we have a family business, and, and I was sort of talking about that to him. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, come over here. Like, you must be super popular with the politicians because they all want a photo with, you know, family businesses and especially ethnic. Mm, mm. Said this openly mm. with no irony. Wow. And I laughed. I mean, I thought I was like, yeah, we, we got a photo. Sure. We want but ethnic that, business leaders. But it was the same. <laughs> yeah. But it was the same idea of branding. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, you know, for him, it was like, I can't post photos of me and just white guys. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a great story. You know, let me post that. It's weird. It's it's weird when it's so performative. Yeah, it's really the, performative, yeah. Because then you do wonder, I mean, there's two sides. You wonder, one, you know, whether they care about things like inclusion. And then two, just on a personal level, you wonder if they even care about you as a person. They just or, see or you as a... Or are they just seeing you as, you know, this quota that they're trying to meet? <laughs> I feel, I mean, from what I see, I mean, I'm sure there are some people who get into politics and they do care like they want to do the work behind they care about you mm-hmm. care about all that stuff but I feel like a lot of people they've been forced into, so they've been working within the system and mm-hmm. they've been doing really well for themselves and then they're forced into thinking about inclusion and diversity it's not a value for them that mm. they like that is within them yep. and anything like that it's like you have to be diverse. You have to hire people of color, like certain percentage. So, yeah. like, let's check off these lists. You have to do a hire consultant to the to do the little bit of this anti racism work in our organization, so we can say that we did this, so that we can get funding from that organization. And don't right. forget to hire an elder. Oh, of course. Don't forget. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Don't. Yeah. My least okay. My least favorite thing is okay. So we're just gonna do a quick land acknowledgement. Quick land acknowledgement. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Karen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this land acknowledgement is going to take as long as it needs to take. Yeah. It, it, we are so um, in a place where we're, what's the word I'm looking for? React, reacting. Right. And mm-hmm. we need to be, we need leaders that are, that already have this lens that already have it in their mind to be to be inclusive to be inclusive or and to be diverse that are already surrounding themselves because i bet you a hundred bucks kennedy stewart doesn't have any black friends i don't know i don't know who kennedy stewart's <laughs> That's the friends man. are Eric. no i know he is but yeah. we're his friends he's never outside never i never seen him. see him anywhere like, never seen him what does he do don't know he's like this kind of this, this like white dude in the office I, I don't know what he's doing i don't know <laughs> I mean, he's mayoring. He's, what is, is that he? involved? There's a lot of staff over there. Like, what is he doing there? I have questions. Yeah. And, and again, all, all of this does go back to that idea of, of branding, right? It just mm. comes off as making an image for yourself. And I don't know. I think the other thing is, like, I'm a lot more critical now because I bought into the Justin Trudeau stuff first election. Sure, so did I. Yeah, like, I was like 100%. Like, that's why I'm so mad. He's a feminist. He cares about people of color. Oh he cares gosh. about all these things. Like, reconciliation. Like, it just, it all felt so good. Mm-hmm. So, here's the interesting thing. When in 2015, when the election was happening, there were a lot of my friends who I also consider elitist. They're like, mm, he's a drama teacher. And I'm like, no, 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 that's fine. Maybe he's a little shallow on the legislative end. But as a symbol, mm-hmm. he's so good for Canada mm-hmm. right now because of what, the rhetoric and what he was saying. Yeah. yeah. Now, the problem is if I take that logical route all the way down, if he is good as a symbol, then what does blackface do to him as a symbol oh, and, to him and his image of his image for the country. It makes him look like, you know, if you keep traveling down that train of thought, I think to some people. Because mm-hmm. sometimes symbols are good, right? Yeah, it, it humanizes him even more. Yeah. It's like, oh, this guy, he's a drama teacher and he's a fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it humanizes him mm-hmm. more. Oh, do I want that? Maybe not. 
That's, yeah. interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. I never thought about the idea of humanizing him more. But I can see that because like, that was some of the commentary that I would see on posts like um, when my story came out, mm. like, leave him alone. He apologized. Mm. He learned from this. It happened so many years ago. It doesn't matter. That kind of thing. Like yeah. the kind of stuff where like none of us would ever get that much leeway had we done something. Yo, if I did whiteface, let's just talk about it real quick. <laughs> if I did whiteface and yeah. did a show, I would, that would be the end. Uh, yeah, me. I think people would be that freaking would, out. That would be the end. I wouldn't work anymore. You wouldn't catch me on any podcasts or nothing. <laughs> Please just, don't do whiteface. I'm going to. I'm going I mean, to. You can if you want to. I mean, it's my life. But no. if you just, like, I'm just thinking of you performing a normal concert, just a regular concert, yeah. and not even acknowledging why you have it on, but just, just, just doing it. Oh. <laughs> people would be like, well, why is. Why is Tanya wearing white face? Well, make so sure you do like your knees and your feet. Oh. So yeah. each finger. I have a show on March 13th. Mm-hmm. It is a fundraiser for Wet'suwet'en. Oh. Perhaps I shall do it in white face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's for yeah, the cause. Okay, for the cause. For yeah. <laughs> so this brings an interesting point, and, and, and it sort of touches on the land acknowledgement uh-huh. thing that, that you had brought up. You know, land acknowledgements are fantastic, but they've as a branding tool, they've just kind of become nothing now, right? Like like you said, get it through really quickly and now we can move on to the real show. Yeah. And my fear is that Trudeau as a symbol in 2015 and all the great things he was saying, now that's just going to become meaningless as well within the political culture where it's like, okay, we have to talk about inclusion and diversity and how this is great. Okay, now we can start talking about real stuff. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like. I think that's how it always was, though. And I would say that across, like, if I look at uh, provincial and civic and federal, like, as far as I can see, we're not talking about diversity, inclusion, and then homelessness Hmm. and jobs and um, justice or anything else. It's always like... And diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. It's not something like it, it should be an integral part of everything. Yes. Right. You know, in, in, yeah. in addition to like even like reconciliation, it shouldn't be and reconciliation. It should be how are they like look at everything through this lens. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, that's not done at any government level. And that's why I don't think any of these policies are particularly effective because mm-hmm. it's always an add on. Yes. So, what is the ultimate legacy of Justin Trudeau's blackface scandal then? Is it just re- remove the mask? Well, oh. remo- <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Sorry. I said my un- unemployment. Oh, your unemployment. That is, yeah, yeah. That's one little thing. But continue. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering what it is. I mean, he still they still won the election. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we had the conversations we needed to have. I know that there were some interesting commentators like Desmond Cole in the media mm-hmm. quite a bit, and, and he brought up some interesting points, but. Did we learn anything? Or did we just become more cynical about politics and now every anti-racism or uh, rhetoric about inclusion is going to be seen with even more cynicism? I think that folks who are doing, who are engaged in anti-racism work, mm-hmm. like you mentioned earlier, have just like what wised up a little yes. and been like, oh, 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 it's all bullshit. We still have to continue doing this work in our own communities. We yes. still have to gather and form, you know, broad-based community groups and alliances for ourselves because 
this, a lot of this is just rhetoric and mm. is just empty. Um, so I don't know, folks who are folks who are really in, engaged and and who are trying to and who are trying to do the work consistently. I think that's the biggest the biggest thing, the biggest legacy that he's left. At least for me, the biggest legacy that's left for me is that ah, we have to do this work ourselves. Mm. We have to educate ourselves. We have to share the information with other people and benefit from our the magic that is collective learning because uh yeah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> that's a great. That's that's a great point. I, I think for me, what I observed um, during and after the election was that, you know, like Tanya said, like people like us, we learned from it, mm-hmm. but I don't think the Canadian media learned from it. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any example of that. Um, I, I've mentioned this before. Like, um, we had the first racialized person run for prime minister, mm-hmm. um, and like, we don't even know all the racist, racist experiences he had on the campaign trail. It's just whatever was covered, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of times. Yeah. And on election night, I didn't see any Canadian news outlet talk about the impact of racism on Jagmeet Singh and the NDP losing so many seats in the in Quebec. It was more like, oh, Jagmeet Singh didn't lead the NDP very well. It's nothing about how This might Quebec, have been race. <laughs> exactly, it might have been yeah. race. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, and then another thing I was watching, I think it was CBC on election night, and they were like at some hall somewhere in Ontario, and there was a lot of like, you know, uh, different people of color and they're like oh there's a lot of diverse people here so it looks like the blackface scandal didn't impact Justin wow. Trudeau yeah so it was like that kind of thing and I was like I was so mad on election yeah. night not just because seeing Trudeau made me angry mm-hmm. it was also just like I'm like nothing it's like nothing happened it's like we're just gonna let you know Quebec the leader of the Black Quebec Quebec is gonna talk about secularism being such an important thing after Bill 21 the secularism law mm-hmm. you know and everyone's just gonna be like cool no That's problem okay. we have uh, super racist uh, policies in Quebec now and the rest of the country is just gonna be like no probs and when Trudeau was talking about that bill he talked about it in terms of and I might do something about it like he wasn't <laughs> even taking a firm stance no it he was never this does terrible and he was on Jagmeet's case for saying he wasn't going to do anything about it, but then Trudeau coming in and saying, we, we're going to look at it and we might do something. Yeah, and he's absolutely not going to do anything <laughs> yeah. about it, which is really frustrating because I think that is Which is also, like wanting the credit for not doing any of the work. Yeah, but I think also a really big signal if we talk about diversity and inclusion as like a branding exercise. Mm-hmm. If the federal government is not intervening in Quebec when they have discriminatory laws mm-hmm. against people of color. That's like, all the clues you need, boys. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, they uh, don't give a shit. Yeah, they don't. Which is, I'm glad that I know. I'm glad that I have clarity. Yes. Mm. I'm Me glad too. that I know for myself because I know how to move now. I'm not waiting around being like, they're going to figure it out. Like, they're not going to figure it out. I'm yeah. going to protest as much as possible because they're not going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I want to end on this one note. This has come up for me a couple of times. Maybe it's come up for you. I've gotten flack in the past about making cultural critiques about things like overrepresentation and privilege, particularly with regard to white, straight, cis men. And by the way, I'm three of those four things, mm. right? So there is a bit of self reflection, but then everyone says, oh, you're you're race baiting or you're being racially charged. I don't think it is. I think if you're calling an individual 
like that. Like if you're calling an individual out, maybe. But I think if you're making a broader cultural critique, I think it's fair game because you're talking about institutions of power and cultural institutions of power. Is it fair game to talk about sort of that, those big four in a, in a category altogether and their power? Because you do see that pushback. People saying, oh, well, that's that's racist, actually. That's reverse racism. No. No, reverse racism is not a thing. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Sorry to intervene there. It's not a thing. So, I'm not making the argument for it, but no, I'm just but saying. No, but I just like for everybody else in the world. Yeah. Reverse racism isn't a thing. In case you were wondering if it is, exists or not, it doesn't. It's not a real thing. It is not. Exactly. It is not. So it what would not. you say to someone that says, well, I feel like when you're talking about white men that way. You feel attacked? Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Feel attacked. Because white men have to feel uncomfortable for the first time. Everybody like, has to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. That's not race baiting. I feel uncomfortable every single day. Like, yeah. You're, 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 I think the people who are, I'm going to guess, mm-hmm. the people who are giving you flack are white men and women. Yes. Because they have a lot to lose if you push that conversation, right? Like, yeah, yeah, they're going to lose out. And that includes white women, because a lot of times they like to ally themselves with people of color, but um, they're not a lot of the times like they benefit a lot from the system. Right. So um, I don't know. Like, I think if you're comfortable calling it out, call it out. I mean, you're going to get pushback. That's just the way it is. Call it out. I think it's important. Like I sort of alluded to earlier, I think it's important for everyone to recognize their own privileges. Being able-bodied mm-hmm. is a privilege. Certainly being male is a privilege. There's class privilege. Like, there's so many different types and just understanding how those things benefit you. It doesn't mean that you're the king of the world and you can do everything you want, but it just means that you navigate life perhaps a little easier than others who don't yeah. share those traits. and I traits. think being able to recognize that in yourself, I think will probably give you, like, if I was a, a white uh, straight cisgender male, if I was actually aware of all those privileges, mm-hmm. I could perhaps engage in a much more meaningful, exactly. empathetic way with others. You know, because like I certainly reflect on like what are where are the gaps for myself, mm-hmm. but also like what are my personal privileges? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I I look when you see me, I look pretty safe. Like I don't get pulled out in airport lineups the way my husband does because he's mm. brown and has a beard or like my sis- <laughs> exactly right? or like my friends who have turbans or or friends who are black like all of these like I don't I'm I'm like a very safe looking brown woman mm-hmm. and like and I and I know that's a privilege that I have mm-hmm. you know and so like I'm aware of it and I'm not going to and I and I want to use that if that's like gives me more power then I want to use it in a good way yeah recognizing your privilege is an honor to be able to do that because when you do it allows you to like you said to move more compassionately to have yeah. deeper more meaningful relationships with other people because you recognize what they have and what you, what you have and what they don't yeah and what you can give most importantly and i i understand i give white people a hard time i really do because i feel like you need it i feel like all of you out there need it but um, how do you how do you know the demos of my listener base? Come because on, because you got good you got good guests. You got good oh, guests. Oh yeah, you've got good you guests. got good guests. Yeah. Um, Clearly evidenced today. Thank but you. for real, like this is an opportunity, and I hope that people, white people especially, but all people, start utilizing this opportunity to start just checking ourselves all the time. Just check it, mm-hmm. because uh, we're in this together, despite what 
some people might think like, yes, white, black, blah, blah, blah. But we're all human beings and we're all going to burn up in 10 years. So let's be friends now. Let's support each other now before that shit comes to pass. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't believe that for real. <laughs> I just threw it in for effect. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to wrap up the show, to be honest. <laughs> Tanya, how do people find you? How do they find the album? Um, you can find the album on Bandcamp, tanyaganaba.bandcamp.com. Buy it from there because I actually get the money. Don't don't buy it on iTunes because those guys are jerks. At Tanya Ganaba on uh, all of the social media. Please follow me. Uh, I love Twitter. And you do have a show on March 13th. Mm-hmm. If someone is listening to this before then, yes. can you give us some details on that? March 13th, I will be playing um, a fundraiser for the Wet'suwet'en at Massey Hall in New Westminster. Tickets are online. You can find them on my Instagram. You can find them on my Facebook. Incredible lineup, Old Soul Rebel, myself, um, Dakota Bear. All the proceeds are going to all the land defenders that are currently being fucked up by the government. I'm going to court and all that kind of stuff. So please come and support. Please, please, please do your part. Even if you're not going to come to the show, just look up what's happening and be engaged. Mm-hmm. Cool. Manjoth, how do people find you? Everywhere. How do they keep up to date with your podcast, your sure. website? Um, to For the website and for the podcast, you can follow um, Jigni Style. It's J-U-G-N-I Style, S-T-Y-L-E. And that's like on Instagram, Facebook, um, and Twitter. We're JigniStyle.com. And you can find out we're actually dropping the second season of the Nameless Collective podcast next or this week when this podcast goes live. So you can check out our new season on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else. Um yeah, and you can check out my other business, the Sustainable Textiles line at anaradesignco.com. And I just want to say about the Nameless Collective podcast, that's yeah. actually how I was introduced to you. I came across it. Yeah. I think someone had tweeted about it, and I listened to the episode about portrayals of South Asian people in Canadian media, and I thought yeah. it was such a fantastic listen. Yeah. I'm a big fan, so I'm happy to hear that there's a a new season. Thank coming. you. Thank you for listening. We're really excited about the new season and uh, the direction we're going. Yeah. Well, for both of you, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing. I know some of it may have been uncomfortable. Some of it may have brought up some bad memories. <laughs> but I think it's important to be uncomfortable in this topic of conversation because it means we're actually getting somewhere. So I appreciate both of you being here. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having us. People, what an incredible pair of guests. What a dialogue. Please have a listen to Tanya Aganaba's album, Something Comfortable, and check out Manjoth Bain's Jugani-style website and her podcast, The Nameless Collective Podcast. They are Tanya Aganaba and Manjoth Bain's, and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>